Hey everybody, so today is going to sound a little bit different because Ben and I are both sick. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sick. <laughs> Just kidding. No. I'm less uh, throaty and more nasally. Yeah, well, we both kind of sound like frogs. Um, but it's been interesting. the show goes on, right? The show goes on. We were, we were like, okay, well, you know what? It's just like everybody's sick right now, so we may as well do a, a podcast um, and just be like, <laughs> just show the world that everybody, or show the four listeners that everybody <laughs> is the same. Yeah, so hopefully we don't sound too phlegmy or disgusting. Well, the problem is, is I think we keep having to clear our throats and cough. Speaking of, you're trying to not do it <laughs> no, right now. <laughs> I'm not. I'm actually okay. not. You sound okay to me. Do I? Yeah. Okay. I don't. I've had a couple days longer than you. Yeah. So I came down with it a couple days before Ben. So he's he's dealing with, and he's a guy. So what does that mean? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> well, I'm not kidding. On my list of things to talk about is actually this was reminding me because you know our kids are older, so we don't have to worry about being sick. It's like no big deal. Wait, but why does that? What does that have to do with our kids being older? Let me finish the sentence, and then. Our kids are older, so we don't have to worry about being sick because if you remember what it was like when your kids were little, very little, oh, like and you, you still got had sick. to take care of them. Holy moly. Yeah, so, now we're like, cook us dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty nice. It is nice. Well, the first time that we got sick with Evie was miserable. So How I'm going to. she when? Uh, she was like 10 months. Yeah, this is our first child. So we, so she had had, and this is probably too much information. So she had had like a week long of just diarrhea as a 10 month old. That, I mean, just. That is never too much information. <laughs> but she, it was so crazy because do you remember like changing those, those specifically, those diapers? <laughs> it got all over her back. It I got all like over her front. She's going to love the I feel like he, most diapers were pretty disgusting. We're going to play this for her um, husband when when that that person comes along. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she, that's, she, we're a ways out. We're a ways but. out. But she had, well, kind of. We don't really know. She's just turned 17. Yeah. I met you at 17. Yeah, but we weren't married for another, like, we weren't married till we were 20. No, but we were. No, but it. But everybody, it was just, we were Ben and Tessa. It was just always that. Yeah, you know? but that, I think we're kind of rare to get married that, that young. Yeah, I guess. I don't know, maybe. But back to the diarrhea. <laughs> it went all the way across her chest. It went all the way up her back. Do you remember that? Yeah. I remember specifically one time being in, because we were living in Colorado at the time, being in the Target parking lot. <laughs> and I'm changing her and like I have no more clothes to give her I have not because the diapers were just not doing it and so we were kind of like what is this you know so this is the same sickness this that is the same we were about to catch yes so I wake up at like 2 30 in the morning um and I I go I'm like feeling horrible I'm clearly gonna throw up soon so I I go hey Ben and you go, yeah, like you've just been awake. <laughs> yeah, I was awake for sure. <laughs> like you, you were not calm. You were, or I mean, you were super calm, but you were like totally awake, alive. And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, um, I think what Evie had was 
the stomach flu. And you were like, yeah, are you feeling sick? And I go, yeah. And so we said, I think you were like, okay, you take the upstairs bathroom. I'll take the lower stairs bathroom. And. Cause I was sick too. Cause you were sick too. Oh yeah. yeah. Did I not mention that? No. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We, we both woke up feeling sick and feeling I was doing so everything sick. I could. You know, when you, when you start coming down with like the nausea. Yeah. Um, and you're like, maybe if I just lay in the right position, it'll just go away forever. <laughs> totally. And I can just avoid getting totally. sick. But yeah, there's there, that's where I was in that phase. Me you, too. Yeah. What's weird about it is that you and I, had we, we got it at almost exactly the same time. Yeah. Neither one of us had thrown up yet. We were both just laying there wide awake, not knowing that the other person was. And we were, I was almost there. And almost we were there. like four hours away from our baby waking up right so yes what was our plan well so I so then I call my mom wait I think I wait another hour you and I we break we go to the different bathrooms you throw up I throw up we spend the night throwing up an hour later I'm like I've got to I got to do something I've got a baby that's going to be waking up soon so I call my mom who's like a half an hour away and I'm like hey mom um, we've been throwing up all night. Can you possibly come and get Evie? And she goes, oh, no, I've been throwing up since 2.30 this a.m. I'm like, oh, my gosh. We, we all, got, all it at the same time. got it at the same time. That was insane. So then we get through the night, and we are both in the bathroom still because we are both throwing up constantly. I, just, I think I just went to sleep in there. Oh, you did? I was throwing up. So then well, I, I think I too, probably went to between, sleep too. Yeah. And then all of a sudden about seven o'clock, right on time, I hear Evie wake up and start making noise in her room. My bathroom is right next to her room. And I'm like laying there and I'm going, okay, somebody's got to pick up this child. <laughs> you know, it wasn't going to be me. <laughs> I knew. <laughs> I heard her too, but I didn't care. <laughs> I <know. laughs> I'm like, she can just live in that crib for the rest of her life, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned right now. I knew you were, I knew you weren't going to, I knew it was going to be me. So I get up, I grab this child and the very first thing after I pick her up, I'm like, hi, hi, I'm holding her with my side and I, I, I can't even pass the bathroom again. I go into the bathroom, I hold her away from me and I puke in the toilet while she's like standing she can barely stand because she's 10 months old so she's I she's crying I'm like puking so then I get done puking and I take her down and I have to feed her yeah and all this kind of stuff so we meanwhile I was downstairs just like completely <laughs> oblivious to the world <laughs> so then I go down to the basement after after I feed her and all I can do because I'm so sick, all I can do is just lay there and let her crawl all over me. <laughs> yeah. um, I feel like this is a very common uh, story about the difference between men and women and when they're sick. Yeah. But I feel like I've made up for where I lacked in this specific story because I'm the one who usually cleans up the barf. Well, let's go to the where the you stuff. lack in the whole story and then we'll go, then okay. I will agree with you because 100% I agree with okay. you. Um, so then Ben comes out of the bathroom or, or um, I don't know. I think I was laying on the couch at this point when you came downstairs. No, no, no. Nobody was no. in. Nope. 
Nope. Oh, okay. You came out of nowhere from like at like 10, 10, 10 30. And I had just been having her crawl all over me for hours. And um, you come out, you come in and then you lay on the couch and you're like, sorry, babe, men are worthless when they're sick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but wait. Yeah, there's, there's a great t-shirt that I've seen that says, I survived the man flu. Yeah. <laughs> What's the man flu? It just, anytime a man's sick. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I agree that you have, but you, you tell me why. Tell me why you've made up Well, I just, I'm, my role in the family is to clean up the gross stuff. <laughs> Whether it comes from the cats or the dogs or the humans, uh-huh. if, if it doesn't belong on the floor, I'm the one that gets it. <laughs> and I usually am the one who, well, just because of our circumstances, but um, if the girls were sick, Usually I would like go in and lay with them or bring them the, the barf bowl. Right? I, I don't know. I think that we've done it equally over the years. I think that once well, I started working and you weren't working and we did that whole transition, no, I, that's I mean, when it really changed. Okay. I think it has to do with how well you sleep versus how well I sleep. Yeah. You don't sleep well. Mm-mm. So I can get up and do something and go right back to sleep. Yeah. So... Usually that's why I'm the one who, whether I'm working or you're working the next day, yeah, doesn't really matter. Usually I'm the one that, that gets up because I can just go right back to sleep. Uh-huh. If you get up, you're up for the rest of the night. However, it's funny because it's funny that we've done that for all these years because I have you have gotten up at certain times with the girls, and all for the sake of hopefully letting me sleep more. But the moment that they wake us. I'm awake. (laughs) So then you come back to bed after having been awake and been up. And then I hear you snoring in about five minutes. Yeah. That's the the blessing about, you know, being able to sleep well (laughs) and not having too many things on the brain. Is it a typical curse for women to not be able to sleep well? Or is that just, I don't know know if it's male or female. I think that it does. Most people that I know that struggle with sleep are women, but I don't think it's like a that black and white. Yeah. I think that it has more to do with your personality. Like your mind is always going. Yeah. Always thinking about what to do next. You know, you have your hands in a lot of different things. I, I don't do well thinking about too many things. So (laughs) I just try to avoid thinking Thinking? (laughs) about the future period, which, you know, it's not a bad thing. Well, no, yes and no. <laughs> it's it's it it causes lacking in other things. Yeah. But you know, it is what it is. It works. I don't think that you and I would have gotten along if you were anything different. I mean No, we would have been competing. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I we think d- we that don't compete very much. No. No. Except for well, over mic space. Mic space? Yeah, like airtime right now. Like <laughs> who gets to talk on the mics? I don't even think we compete over that. That's funny. Um, well, we compete. Y- Whether you think we're competing or not, we're competing. <laughs> <laughs> you compete with me when we're playing games. No. Uh-huh. I'm just trying to make it as miserable as possible for everybody. <laughs> so we don't have to play for very long. Ben absolutely hates playing games. And what's funny is in my family, we were always a game family. And 
So here's, here's my favorite part of Saturday night. Here's how it goes. Hey dad, can we play a game? Or, Hey, can we play a game? One of the kids usually says it. And, uh, you're like, <laughs> well, yeah, I'll play a game. And I'm usually dead silent cause I don't want to play a game. <laughs> so everybody knows I don't want to play a game. So then comes the time to discuss what we're going to play. And somehow in our family, we've come up with this idea that, well, since dad doesn't want to play a game, he should be the one to choose the game. And I don't understand it. It's like, I don't want to play. I shouldn't have to choose what we're going to play. But in your mind, it's like, well, since you don't want to play, and of course we're going to force you to play, you might as well choose the game. Like pick your poison, right? So much was said just now. I don't even understand. You guys you, make we me... force you to play games. Well, guilt, not force. Oh gosh. Well, because I mean, if we didn't, we would never play a game as a family. I know, and that's why I end up playing the game. Oh. And it's not, you know, I don't know. It's not that I'm because once we start playing the game, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. It's not great, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you could imagine how fun it is to play a game with somebody who's like, yeah, it's okay. It's not great, but it's okay. Well, I mean, there's also the aspect of um, there are certain games that we have played our whole relationship, and I simply have never been able to beat you. So it's like, hey, let's spend three hours playing something that you're guaranteed to lose. <laughs> Like, not just guaranteed to lose, but I'm going to demonstrate how terrible you are at <laughs> no. this. Ben, I don't know how to fix this situation. There really isn't a fix, and that's why we don't have one yet. Because you're good at the game. I'm not. I'm not going to improve at this point. It's just not going to happen. But you would think that if you hate playing games so much that you wouldn't... Like you would just play him for fun and just to be with the family and that you wouldn't get upset when you don't win. It's not, I don't get upset. Uh, it's just like, what's the point? That's upset. <laughs> no, it's not. I don't get upset. <laughs> there are some games that I can win. And those, I like to play those a little more often because it's like, at least there's a point. There's a, uh, so. And that's so not just me. Here you, is you the destroy. solution, everybody. Do not play games unless you can win. No. This is the, this is the moral of the story right now. Well, <laughs> it's not just me. It's that you are so... There's one specific card game we play. And you're so much better than all of us that it's you're always... I'm not talking like, okay, the game goes to like 150 points. When you reach 150 points, usually the next highest person has like 30 points. <laughs> And usually there's somebody who has like negative five. But here's the thing. I don't feel like I am. Have you seen me play this game lately? Like, I don't feel like I am rushing. I don't feel like I am. I feel like what I'm doing is like I'm either apologizing for winning or like. <laughs> no, you just have a natural gift and that's that's just your gift. You're oh, really I should good. play nerds for a living. You're really good with strategy. You're really good at seeing things on multiple levels in a very fast pace. And I just, I'm, it's physically impossible for me. 
Yeah. Like my, the connection between my eyes and my brains are not good. (laughs) So it it just, it just doesn't work. Well, going back really though, the reason why I even, I say, Hey Ben, you choose is because we're wanting you to play and like, we don't want to make you play a game that you hate. I know. But the problem is I, I hate all the games. <laughs> and you're making, you're basically, if I, if I could choose, and I've tried this strategy, it never works, I would choose not to play a game. <laughs> but then I look over at my children who love playing games, <laughs> uh-huh. and I realize that this is one of those things that as a parent, you need to do because you're going to look back on this and be like, you know what? I should have just played the games with the kids. Yeah. Because those are those are going to be memories someday. That's absolutely right. And our girls love playing games. Which is why. I mean, there's lots of things that I do, definitely. I mean, there's lots of things that you and I both do that we we do it simply because of the love of our children. Yeah, that's that's a very, that's a parent's trait. Yeah. Um. But, and I just want to point out, we play a lot of games. <laughs> like, I, we do this a lot. Yeah. I just don't prefer it. Yeah. If you had, you know my family. If you had played games with my family growing up. I did play You games would realize why. With your family. You don't want to play games. I, I still love playing games and I play games with your family all the time. Anyway. I just think it's funny because your, your family loves playing games and then, you know, halfway through the game, usually somebody gets pissed. <laughs> we haven't somebody played games as a family offended. in years. Somebody has a, a hissy fit. And it's like, I just look at this and I, I look, I sit back and I go, why are we doing this? Because <laughs> game equals fun. This should be fun. The moment it's not fun anymore is the moment we shouldn't be playing anymore. I think it's really funny that you just brought up that story because, Ben, you are living in 1998 because we haven't played a game with my family since literally the 90s. And I laugh because, like, with when we play as a family, let me just say you're going to have to get a different story because when we play with our family, it's fun. We enjoy ourselves. The only person that doesn't enjoy themselves is you. We played a game like three weeks ago and your mom got mad. Wow. Come on. I mean. Because she lost. <laughs> that was a weird one. That and was totally weird. And every so weird. often one of the kids gets upset and, you know, the, the tradition continues. <laughs> Let's play games. Get super mad at each other and then end the game. And then a week later, forget that happened and, and want to play a game again. Wah, wah, <laughs> wah. <laughs> hey, at least and I play. And that's a wrap, at folks. Least, at least I play. My mom just will not play a game. I know. I've always tried to get your mom to play and she won't play. Yeah. That's so funny. Well, all that to say, that was a big introduction to say we are sick and the whole the whole game thing. I, how did we even get into the I game have no thing? No idea. Well, anyway, but I was thinking that today. It's funny because you were talking about us. You know, the whole sleeping thing and the fact that your your brain is different than mine. And I've had to really, uh, really, really, I've had to really figure out how to deal with a brain like mine. Yeah. Which I'm sure you've had to feel figure that out as I'm well. I'm still working on it. I mean, obviously, I haven't figured it out either. 
but it is a work in progress, which we are. But I think one thing that adds a whole thing is we, uh, one thing I'm dealing with right now is having to figure out the whole social, social media thing. And the reason I have to figure- We're going to tackle social media today? <laughs> well- no, but we're going to tackle m- me on social media. Okay. <laughs> so the biggest thing is that as soon as I, as soon as I had my, the, as soon as the book, the first book out of the shadows came out last summer, it was interesting because it's all exciting. You know, it's my first time publishing a book. I'm definitely, I, I love and prefer fiction. Um, I think that where my love of things came from is, you know, my family is really big into movies. I wanted to be an actress from the time I can remember. Um, the funny thing is, is now I look at acting and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm way past that. And that I'm, you know, in a way I'm grateful that that never happened. But it is funny because for the longest time, then it turned into just wanting to be a part of movies. And then when I was 19, I sat down and I wrote my very first novel, which was a Civil War novel. And that's because my mom had us growing up watching North and South with Patrick Swayze. And his really Im- disappointing that he doesn't dance in that. <laughs> well, he kind of does. Have you ever seen him kick when he's fighting? <laughs> that's true. He does this like pointed toe ballet kick. <laughs> <laughs> he totally does. And throughout all of North and South, he definitely does that. But it is interesting because... <clears throat> he still I, has the sweet mullet, though. In North and South, yeah. yes. Yeah, I don't know that he does still. He definitely does not have one now. <laughs> yeah, well, You might, never know. You never know. It's it's it'd be <laughs> gruesome because he's dead. Uh, he's in heaven, babe. Oh, you mean like his spirit has <laughs> his a mullet. <laughs> if his soul does not have a mullet, <laughs> I'm going to be very disappointed. I fully expect to meet Patrick oh, Swayze in heaven man. and for him to have his big glorious <laughs> Beautiful mullet. mullet. Cuz if he doesn't it's like what's the point? I know. I know. But you know what a lot of men in that that day and age had mullets. Mel Gibson, he was rocking the and it wasn't just the mullet, it was like the full mullet. Yeah. Like not like the shaved full. on the side, short in the front, no. like the full helmet yep. mullet. Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah, well, it was he the, was it was that the was 80s. an amazing yeah. mullet. Um, there was a lot of actors. It te- they tend to come from Australia. All the Australian actors have a mullet. Um, Did uh, uh, what's his name? Gladiator. Have Gladiator. A- <laughs> <laughs> Why can't we? Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Uh, oh yeah. He did. Didn't he? I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll have to look it up. Somebody look it up. I, I, I'm this sure, is where we need a calling button. I'm sure at some point in his life, he had a sweet mullet. Oh, I'm sure. He's uh, from crocodile, Australia. The crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin. He had a fun little mullet. That's what I'm saying. They're from Australia. Well, you have to protect your neck from the sun. That There you go. You need to grow out a mullet. <laughs> you do not want to see me. No, with I a don't want to see you in a mullet. I was, a, uh, I was white trash for uh, for Halloween once. Yeah. I can say white trash. Don't worry. <laughs> can you? Yeah. <laughs> Did you see my face? <laughs> yeah. You're worried I was going to offend some people. I don't, I thought you were. But uh, no. You, okay. I was I was like. Yeah. You were full on. I was full on for uh, Halloween once. Yeah. And I had a sweet mustache. That's handlebar sweet. mustache. And a, and a gnarly mullet. So going back and it from was awesome. mullets. <laughs> <laughs> now that Patrick Swayze got us into mullets. I sat down at, at like 19 and I started writing 
a Civil War novel. And it took me years and years to write that because, you know, you, when you don't know that you can actually finish something, I think in my brain, I never actually expected to finish it. I, I was always just starting it and then continuing it. And over the years, I would spend time in the room. You would be out watching TV. I would spend time in the room just sitting there for hours, just writing this. And um, I, you know, it's one of those things that it probably will never be published, but, or maybe it, I think it really needs to uh, an amazing kind of rewrite and a revamp um, if I ever do publish it. But that's what started everything. And then I finished that. Um, right after E.B. was born. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I'm like 24, 25 years old. I finished, I finished The Southerner's Daughter, which is what I named it. And um, it was interesting because that kind of started my whole process of writing. And I will tell you that when I was always writing, the whole reason for me writing, every single book I've ever written, it was always because I wanted to see it become a movie. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, I love books. Don't get me wrong. I really love books. Obviously, I write them. Well, and it's the only way your husband would ever be able to, to see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Just kidding. I've, I've read your books. You have read most of them? I've read all your books. Have you read all of them? Yeah. Oh, wow. Some, many, many, many times. Well, that's because he, he would do the editing when, when we were doing that whole, like, you stay at home and then I would go to work. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was interesting. But I, the reason I'm even bringing it up is because <clears throat> I did this whole thing of like, I always knew that I wanted it to eventually be, I would write it as a movie in my head. It plays like a movie in my head. After that book, most of the books came pretty quickly. This, but then I get to the point where I'm <clears throat> seven, uh, what? Am You're I, clearing your throat a lot. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I get to the point where I, you know, and I think it was like 2017, I had kind of build up, built up in my head or in my whole life that I wanted to, I wanted to publish a book, but it was just not happening. I didn't know anyone. I didn't, I didn't know how to get it out there. I would try to send query letters, which is the whole thing that you do. And the query letters would always end up with, you know, it's funny because I don't even think that they actually look at them. I'm, I'm pretty sure that unless you're, you're like mom or dad is like a, a part of the publishing world, you don't get into it. Yeah. <clears throat> Cause I think that they don't even, I think they don't even look at them and then you get a rejection. And so there's years of this process that you're going through and every single time you get a rejection, you're just like, Oh, like this is horrible. It's just like auditioning as an actress. You go in, you, you feel like you got this part and then you walk away and you find out that somebody else got the part, you know? there It's just this constant sense of rejection over and over again. And I don't think it lends its hand to um, to creativity. To you're, you're starting to now look at the rules. You're starting to go, okay, it's gotta be 80,000 words. Um, okay. So if I go too far out there, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to scare them off with how big I'm going in this story. I don't want to, you know, I want, I need to have this amount of romance. I need to have this, you know, you start to have all of these things, right? And it just, it creates a whole process in your brain that you're trying to figure out. So the reason I'm even talking about it 
is because I gave up writing. So I gave it up and we went on vacation. Do you remember that? I do. And I told Ben, I was like, I gave it up. I'm just going to, I'm just going to put my effort into the business that I had already built, um, called the fit exchange, which was growing and it was expanding. And I was like, I'm just going to put my emphasis there. And it was funny because a week later after I had the most peace I had ever had while we went on vacation. That was the biggest piece I had had in a long time. And it was because I don't have to get any more rejections. I'm done, all of that. And then a week later after we get home, I had to put my phone on speaker because a person from my childhood had gotten my, my book and was reading my book with his wife and he calls me and I put him on speaker because he says something about my book. And Ben and I listened to this man say, hey, I'm reading your book. It's called Rachel Ann Praline. And I'm reading your book. And it's one of the top 10% of books I've read. And I'm like, there was part of me that was like frustrated. Like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And then there was part of me that was like, of course, overjoyed and so excited. And like, this is amazing. Right? But like, it still took a couple years after that for it to turn into anything because I then went through a whole editing process with the, one, the books that are out now. But the reason I even wanted to talk about it was the whole social media factor because- Oh, are we still going to talk about social media? Yeah, that's where I'm leading into. Oh. It's a lot. People want to hear the stories, babe. They want to hear me say this story. I'm just saying like it's, it's interesting because- I always believe in the surrender factor. And I really, truly believe that that's what happened is I surrendered it. I said, okay, I'm not going to try and do anything with this. This is just going to be my passion. And then a week later I get called and the, the rest is history. So that's where we are today. I still have the Fit Exchange and I'm still working the, mo the days with the Fit Exchange. And then I'm still writing the third book because it's a trilogy and I have to get the audible books done. And what else? What else am I missing? And so then once I got this book or once this book published, what was interesting is I suddenly had to figure out social media. Why? What do you mean why? In order to market myself and in order to market this book. Because right now, there's so many books out there. It's like, how do you rise above the noise, as we say? And how do you get yourself out there, right? And so I went through this whole process at the beginning. Really kind of, I'm sure pro people probably were like, oh, aren't, you know, I got asked all the time, oh, isn't this so exciting? Aren't you so, ex aren't you so excited? Aren't you happy? Aren't you having, are you having the greatest time of your life? <laughs> And I wasn't, I was like overwhelmed with putting a book out there. And the reason I say this story is because I think people need to hear that you have something amazing happen, but the work doesn't stop. It's not like all of a sudden you become this multimillionaire and the name of your book is out there. No, if you go, especially if you go with a boutique agency or a boutique uh, publisher, you're the one that's getting your name out there. You're the one that has to get your book out there. And especially when you don't know anything about the publishing world, um, it, it 
it's overwhelming or it can be overwhelming, right? Yeah. You have nothing to say about that. I, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm listening along. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you were just there for when I was doing all this. Yeah, you were extremely stressed. And uh, I think that, that the, the, like you said, the interesting part about it is people think that what they see on social media, I'm, th- I'm sure you're leading into this at some point. Yeah. But what you see on social media isn't the whole picture. Right. Like, yeah, you've published a book. Another one's coming out this uh, fall. Yeah. And then another one's going to be coming out next year. That doesn't mean we're like done. We can just play no. now Mm-mm. at all. No. In fact, you've been, you've risked more um, socially, uh, emotionally, financially mm-hmm. in the past year than you than ever, ever have. Than ever. You risk putting yourself out there. Yeah. And most people won't do it. And trust me, there are a lot of times that I went, what am I doing? I don't want to be doing this anymore. Because if I put my words out there, it's kind of the same thing as when I finished the first book. I never wanted anybody to see that. I never wanted it to see the light of day. But you handed it to a coworker and she ended up loving it. And I didn't know that you had handed it to the coworker because you were just printing it off for me. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge step forward because having just somebody back you up and be in your corner is extremely important for the human psyche. It is extremely important for the human emotions. But the problem is, is that it's also because it's so vulnerable and so scary, it is a huge risk. It's a bigger risk than I think almost anything. The only thing that I think is, is a, as big of a risk besides art and creativity is love. What about like soldiers? Well, that's, a, th- that's obviously life risking. Oh. Okay. Yeah, of course. <laughs> ben, that's a funny question. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I mean, of course, but we're not talking about losing your life. We're talking about a risk of like vulnerability. Well, I think anytime you put um, something that is near and dear to your heart that you have worked hard on, yeah, that you believe in, um, I think that it's a huge risk to put it out there because you don't know the outcome. Yeah. And you've put your whole, all of your energy into it, your, your love, your passion, your, uh, your time. Yeah. Time away from your family. And, uh, it's, it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. And that's why and as a mom I especially. don't do anything because right. I'm too scared. <laughs> well, as a, a mom, especially it was, there was like, a guilt for spending any time on something that wasn't making our family money. Right. So I felt this constant guilt of like making my family money and, you know, or, or this is taking time away from them and everything. So it's kind of one of those things where I think that what I'm saying about social media is I then had to start this social media. And at first it was overwhelming it was like, I don't know where what do to you, begin. Can you, can you specify what you did on social media? So like, I, I think that you haven't really described that it's not just your personal use of social media. So I'm talking about like 
using social media for marketing. You use Instagram, you use Facebook, you have to put yourself out there and you have to ask people to like your stuff and review your stuff. You have to, um, not only that, but you know, you have to create an audience. And sadly, nowadays, there are so many books out there that people have to kind of like you in order to know, to like choose your book in a weird way, or at least that's how it feels. With social media, I have felt, who am I to these people? I know who I am in real life. I know who I am to my kids. I know who I am to the Fit Exchange. I know who I am to you. Who am I on social media? I don't want it to just be my face. I don't want it to just be my, you know. And so then we started to do like these creative, you know, pictures. And we started to do all of these, um, you know, these different things. But I started to kind of try and figure out like how do I, how do I actually put myself out there, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just so hard. It's just such a weird world that we have to do that. Yeah, this day and age, you if you want to run any business, if you want to, I mean, people, when they look up a business, they usually look at the social media first, or they just Google a location. And the way that, that Google finds it is if there's a social media account. Right. So you, you can't be invisible on social media if you want any kind of, uh, if you if you're own a company, if you have a product... Mm-hmm. You have to be on social media. Yeah. It's a necessary evil that you have to have. Yeah, it is. And so you and I kind of talked a lot about it. And it was like, what are we trying to do on social media? Well, honestly, I just don't want to put a, out garbage. I want good stuff. I want quality stuff. Um, and a huge part of it is what I've done for the last you know, decade is, you know, build this business on empowerment and build this business on, um, on lifting people up and helping people see their human potential. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I figured, okay, even though I have all of these things on social media, for example, I'm right. I write books. I have the fit exchange. I have all of this kind of stuff. Um, I am human. (laughs) I needed to figure out how to how to get out there and how to do it. But it was terrifying just as much as publishing the book. And so, I don't know. You saw it. You saw how terrified I was. Well, I think that's just your personality. I don't think you like being in the limelight. Yeah. Um, I don't think you like drawing attention to yourself. I think there's a lot of people that love being on social media. But they love putting, they take billions of selfies a day and, and for some reason post them for the world to see. Well, so then this, this is for the people who really want to build a business and really want to do something well. The reason you're a writer is because you want to be able to just write in the comfort of your own home without people seeing you. Yep. You want to be able to put out your content, have people read it and enjoy it. And that's it. (laughs) But you're in a, in a world where. Even when you're, of course, when you're self-published, you have to do all of it yourself. Yeah. But even in the publishing world now, you are published through a publisher, but publishers now expect their writers to have followings. Yeah. Like you have to have your own website, your own social media um, presence. You have to have your own following. And that, unfortunately, is 
what they'll look at first before yeah. they even look at your book. Right. So for instance, most books that are put out right now, really successful books are by people that we all know. Right. Um, every Actors, famous person. Yes. They can just say, I wrote a book and then they sell a million copies. Right. Just because of who they are, even though the books a lot of times suck. Which is so frustrating because there's so many people out there that I guarantee there is a kind of a weird artist brain where you do just want to sit in a room somewhere and create. Our daughter does the same thing. You just want to sit in a room for hours on hours uh, 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 and just write the book and create the world and all of that. But unfortunately, you can't just do that anymore. No. You have to, you have to put yourself out there. If you have a product, you have to have a presence right. and a following. And it's if you're not willing to do that, then then you highly decrease yeah. the chance of being successful. Right. Because it's no longer about writing a good book anymore. Which sucks because it comes across as, you know, you have to get over the idea that you're trying to just, you know, bombard people with yourself. Yeah. But See, guess what? I get stuff from The Rock on my feed every day. Do you think he's worried about bombarding me? Oh, I know. No, because I chose to follow him. I know. And I if, know. If I want to, I can just swipe right past him. Which I do a lot. Yeah. Well, somebody actually shared a meme a while ago that I shared as well because it was so good. It's, it was something about, you know, I think I even talked about it before, about actors are constantly promoting their movies, but yet any person that asks you to buy their book is like, can you please buy my book? Like, you feel yeah. so bad. But in reality, you've worked I think so you feel bad. I, I don't know. think... I think there are plenty of people out there, go-getters that, you know, want to sell the world mm -hmm. that they don't care to bother, hey, buy this from me yeah, because it's all about the sale. I, I just don't think you're a writer. You're not a salesman. Right. And, and that's, I think that's the challenge right now is that, that artists are forced to be salesmen. Yeah. And artists. that's, I think that's yes. the struggle that you're, you're kind of getting around to. Yes. Is that you don't want to be a, a salesperson. So here is what I've kind of figured out. And Ben, you can help me because you've kind of watched the transformation. I will say that I had huge anxiety over social media and marketing myself. We're talking at some point there, there were a lot of other things. And at some point I'm going to share my story about last year. Um, but right now, all I'm going to give you is that I was having extreme anxiety to where it would wake me up in the middle of the night. And we're talking extreme anxiety. Um, this was over a lot of different thing, things. But one of the main problems was that I had to figure out how to sell a book and how to figure out how to not lose myself in the process of selling that book. So... At first, we hired somebody, and even though they were awesome and I love them and everything, the problem was is that they really, they weren't me. You hired a marketing firm. Yeah, I hired a mar marketing That's firm. That's what you mean. And at first, you know, and, it, and they were great, and they helped me to take amazing pictures and to really get creative because, again, my whole goal in life had always been to be a part of making movies. I still am not convinced that that's not where I'm going to eventually go. But at the same time, it's like there were 
there were things that it was like, you know, they just, I had to be me in it, in the process. And once I figured out, then that was hard to figure out was who am I? Well, I'm a trainer. I've been a trainer for a decade. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a writer. Um, you know, I, I, I am a coach of empowerment and encouragement and um, all, just all sorts of different things, right? So how do you take all those things and then direct them into one feed, you know, one Instagram feed? Here you go, you know. But the truth of the matter is, is that what I found is, number one, the moment I post something, I walk away from it. I don't look at the likes. I don't care about the likes. And then before I even go back to my phone, and I don't even have to do this anymore, but I used to, I would have to almost give myself a pep talk of like, okay, here we go. I'm going to look at it. Who cares? Who cares who liked it or how many people liked it? Who cares how many people I'm connecting to as long as it connects to one person? I didn't want my face all over everything. So then I started to put in quotes um, and things like that, um, that to me, it was all just about, okay, if I feel like I'm giving back to the world, then I feel like I'm okay with it. So there's, there's those aspects of it. So number one, I would say is find your voice. And if you don't feel right about putting it, you know, it out there, um, you know, with a bunch of junk, then don't put out junk, put out amazing things, really think about what you want to kind of, if you have intention on something, like my intention a lot of times is to help people and encourage people through, through um, mental health, fitness, and just empowerment of their spirit. That is what my books are about. That is what, you know, even though they're fiction, that is where my heart lies. So I had to figure that out. Once I figured that out, things started to go way better. Another thing was uh, I really had to look at social media as a business practice, not as a personal practice. So I don't even go on it hardly for personal reasons anymore, except I do, I do keep in touch with my family and friends. And then also I connect with the people who are connecting with me on Instagram. And it was a big deal to kind of finally reach that point where I was comfortable with the whole aspect of that. And even though I still, part of me still wishes as an artist that I could just kind of sit in a room somewhere, I have accepted that this is part of the process and that I'm just going to do it. So I had to think not so deeply into the, just the heaviness of, of, of what social media can be. And I had to pick my poison too. You know, like I had to decide one, uh, one of the social media factors, which was like Instagram is one of the best ones I feel because you can scroll through, you see people's images, you see people like they'll write something small, something intimate. And, you know, I, I felt like that one kind of felt more like me. So you kind of have to pick your one place where you feel the most comfortable and go after that. I, I don't, I'm, I'm a voyeur on Instagram. I don't really post anything. Yeah. I just look at people falling down. 
Yeah. <laughs> like all my feeds are just funny. <laughs> yeah. So you're talking about like the difference between you and me and how we use social media. I'm totally a viewer yeah. versus a, a, a content creator. Yeah. And you're a content creator and you actually connect with a community of people. Yeah. That has been really interesting and very cool. There's been a couple of ladies that like one of them from New Zealand and all that that sent me a voice message. So I sent her a voice message back over Instagram. And so you're like actually creating these, you know, kind of interesting relationships with people who are kind of in the same boat as you. They're trying to figure things out. And so I kind of got have been able to through kind of dicing and cutting here and there. I've been able to kind of figure out how to make social media work for me as opposed to bringing me so much anxiety. Yeah. And, and once again, I think this is, I think there are people that can relate. I don't think that everybody feels this way about social media. I don't think everybody's anxious about it. I don't know. I think I, 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 I kind of disagree with you. I actually think that social media is a huge factor for a lot of people having very, very uncomfortable feelings. Well, yeah, of course. But you're talking about like having to put yourself out there. Yeah. Right? Okay. Um, I don't think most people have to put themselves out in on social media. Well, we just said that they, if they have a business or if they have something that they want to sell, they need to put oh, themselves I'm just, out there. I'm just there thinking on. <laughs> about the average person who, you know, right. clocks in and clocks out every day and they just use social media as like a, an entertainment thing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm specifically so talking, talking about two people who correct are in your shoes. I'm talking to people who have to put themselves out there and they don't want to put themselves out there. And we can even take social media out of it. I believe creativity is extremely important for a person's soul. I believe that creativity is a is extremely important for a person's psyche. You and I, we're, we've talked about the second book, and and one of the things about this series that I've written is it really goes into and it really digs into the psyche and how we have layers of our psyche that we we deal with, and the fact is is that one of the things is that I believe. When you can take somebody into a fiction world or you take somebody into the beautiful art, you kind you you just attract that part of them that has kind of been laying dormant for a while. And it allows them to think in different ways. It allows them to think in um, just in a, a more kind of open way. Um, and I think that as a society, really need to encourage people to find their place of creativity and all of that. And some people have it as an amazing passion and well, they I, want to do something with it. I would it. say that's one positive thing about social media is that people are so creative. Yeah. They come up with some of the, the coolest ideas. Yeah. Um, like there's a, the example of that woman that you follow on TikTok that she had a song that she kind of wrote. Yes. Yeah. And she kind of put it out there on TikTok like, hey, somebody put music to the back of this. And like tons of people came back with amazing yeah. like, mixes of music that they downloaded her voice uh-huh. and made this awesome, like, totally. as far as I'm concerned, like radio quality mm-hmm. music. Yeah. That's just one example. Um, there's video editing and stuff that's just, it, it's crazy how, and that's one thing that encourages me 
because I get turned off by the news and by a lot of social media because a lot of it's so negative Yeah, that it's encouraging to me whenever I see people getting together and creating something amazing and new. Yes, I agree. I agree. And so I think, but how do we teach a society to find the good in these things? (laughs) Well, that's the difference between you and me. You're trying to solve the world's problems <laughs> and well, and you can't i just think about like the depths of the my soul that, that i felt and i never would want anybody to ever visit those moments. no i'm sorry the people that are doing good are doing good the people that won't aren't <laughs> and that's just the way the world is and the way it will always be i disagree we can all do better and we can all figure out how to help people do better Okay. All the, all that to say, I the reason I even wanted to bring all of that up is because I believe there's a lot of people out there that are scared of social media, are afraid of putting themselves out there even beyond social media, and I want to encourage people that you have to find the way to do it. There are ways to do it where you don't have to go down that 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 black hole. You don't have to sell your soul to the devil. In other words, you do not have to sell your soul to the devil. You can do it and still, you know, and still create something amazing and offer the world something, you know, right? Sure. (laughs) And then there's Ben who doesn't want to, do we want to go into why you don't? I mean, if, if I had my way, we'd just get rid of it all. Yeah. Oh, I understand. even, Even podcasts. Oh. And just be like back to 1984. Yeah. You know? Didn't you read that book? Not the 1984, the book <laughs> by George Orwell. <laughs> That's not a 1984 I want to go to. <laughs> I'm just saying that like there was something about, we talked about this before. Yeah. But there was something about just not, just being able to live in the moment. Yeah. And not having to worry about, recording everything and and um but that's what i'm saying i that's that is putting out these polls to like the world of yeah you know how, how good i am i at this please yeah. answer yeah that is what i'm saying though i really do think that it can be done without that perspective it was so much easier when our circle of of um of uh what's the word friends well no just our our general circle yeah was like the town you lived in or not even the town but like the area of the town that you lived in the people you knew now your your circle is like the whole world yeah (laughs) Yeah. you have to do stuff for the entire planet Yeah. yeah not just you know um i don't know it just it was it just seems much easier to please yeah the people that are actually in your life yeah and not the world as a whole. Well, this is Ben and Tessa, the sick twosome telling you guys that, you know, number one for me, what I really want you guys to do is if you do have something you really want to do and you're passionate about it, do it. Don't let fear keep you back. But the other thing is, is to recognize that it takes work to get there. And sometimes you have to put you have to put kind of boundaries around yourself in order to figure out it's going to take time to figure out any transition. 
right? And so I was panicked for a long time that I had made a big mistake, that that publishing this book, I was never going to feel the same. I was always going to be afraid of it. And I don't feel that way at all anymore. Um, talk I think, I talk think to me in a few months when I'm putting out the second book, but Your we'll perspective see. has changed. Yeah, it has. How do you feel my perspe- perspective has changed? I, I mean, I think that that for anybody who's releasing something like that, whether it be a book or anything, yeah, whatever, a song, yeah. uh, whatever, um, if it doesn't like sell 10 billion copies in the first hour, you're not successful. Right. But I think that, that for you, just the fact that you, you published your book mm-hmm. is the success. Yeah. Um, just the fact that you're, you're legitimately putting, putting something that you've created out for people to experience is the success. It's not measured in how much you got paid for it or how much recognition or how many followers you're gained. Right. Um, that's what I think has changed in you. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and just allowing whatever outcome is meant to happen. Mm -hmm. You have to allow that to happen. Yeah. It's not something, it's never going to be what you expected. Well, and timing is always different. Timing is, is completely different. Remember for the longest time I kept hearing this, um, I kept hearing this, (laughs) during this whole process when I was actually struggling the most, I kept in my, in my mind, I kept feeling like I was being told the story of, um, of Simon and Garfunkel over and over again. And I was like, I had to go back because I knew the story, but I reminded myself by reading it because I kept having it come up in my, in my thoughts and in my mind. And, the, the whole story behind Simon and Garfunkel, and I'll, I'll leave you, I'll leave everyone with this, is Simon and Garfunkel went in to, to create their masterpiece, and they record this whole album, and they put it out there, and it sells very little. It does not sell enough to continue doing anything of what they're doing. So they split up and they go to different parts of the country and they are away. And meanwhile, one of the guys who was a part of the publishing or I'm sorry, a part of the producing takes their their songs at some point and decides, well, you know what? What would it sound like if I put a little bit more of this instrument and this instrument and this? So he started kind of filling underneath and then he re-releases it because back then you could just use stuff like that. I doubt they could do that now. But he releases it, and and I hope I got this so- story right. But I tried to. It doesn't I tra- matter. I tried to read up on it, um, and he releases it, and suddenly it creates this huge success, and they actually come back to this huge success that they actually they did not know they were having, and the reason I think I was constantly being told this story is because we expect our timing. And in reality, timing is always perfect. The The way that it works out is always perfect. It's we kind of do, the only option. Well, it is the only option. However, you can make yourself really miserable trying to make it not the option, only option. Yeah, I mean, it. what happens, happens, right? Correct. That's the only option. So your ability to accept it 
Correct. Is the difference, yeah. I think. Your ability to not have to control it. Yeah. You, we, we try and control it so much. And our resistance to things not happening the way we want it to be or, you know, whatever. Uh, we try and control it. So I'll leave you with that story because I think it, 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 it encouraged me. And I'm sure it'll encourage a lot of people and especially artists or especially people who are trying to, to build a business. Because, um, you know, even the business that I built um, here in Kona, it wasn't overnight. It was, you know, a lot of people want to come in and they immediately want to be a personal trainer and they want to be a successful per personal trainer. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. It took me one client at a time building up, building up, building up. And then eventually then I had one space and then I had two spaces and then three and then four. And so it was, it was a matter of, following that hard work and putting my work into it and just letting timing and or just an organic growth happen that was honestly the best uh that was the best lesson for me that kind of helped me eventually I didn't feel that at first with the publishing but then af after a while I finally realized, what am I doing? I'm trying to control every aspect of this. I need to just let it go. I need to find my boundaries. I need to accept uh, whatever marketing I need to do as just part of the business and go from there. And I still, I think that that was a huge factor in my release and my peace, you know? Mm -hmm. You agree? Yeah. All right. Well, follow me on Instagram if you uh, think about social media. And other than that, hopefully by next time we will sound normal. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. All right. Thanks, uh, guys. Talk to you soon.